You are listening to Comfortably Uncomfortable Conversations with your host, Devin J. Hall. We respectfully acknowledge that we are blessed by the land on which we gather, live, and connect. It is the traditional and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, specifically the Kwantlen, the Katsi, the Semiyama, and the Tawasin First Nations. My guest today is Siren St. Sin. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. So our topic today is bondism, which is one of my favorite topics in my whole life. I think I got involved in bondism when I was about 17. And it, like looking back on the last 20 years of my life, I realized that bondism helped me work out so many mental health issues Mm -hmm. and helped me discover so much about myself. What got you into bondism? Uh, I was young. (laughs) I think what it was, and I I, I don't think I realized it at the time, but recently kind of an epiphany of what drew me to it is that I am asexual. And that doesn't mean that I don't enjoy sex. It just means I don't have a sexual attraction, like to things. I don't be like, Ooh, I, I want to do that. Or I see that person and I want to do things with them it, but I like eroticism and I like feelings and it stems from trauma. And I wanted to enjoy sexual energies that people get when they have sex and they do that with them. But to me, it's just another act. Like it's not, and again, it stems from trauma. And also I think it shaped my asexuality, but also I am asexual. So BDSM allowed me to experience sexual energies without sex. I love that so much. You posted something yesterday and I I don't have the direct quote, but basically you were talking about how you couldn't do certain things because it triggers you. And I I already know the answer to this, but how important if you're entering into a a BDSM relationship is communication? 100%. (laughs) That is what BDSM and kink is at its very foundation. Communication with your partner and communication with self. You have to be able to be open to what you're going to be experiencing, whether it's overcoming trauma. Not everybody experiences BDSM to overcome trauma, but a lot of people do. And also, it also helps debunk and shed the skin of shame around our fantasies and desires and things that we fantasize about, but we would never actually do. But for some reason, it's there in our heads and it makes us turned on or want to explore that or intrigued, but we would never do that in life. Like I'm a sadist. I love to hurt people. I would never do that in real life. I'm never just going to go up to hit somebody and nor do I have this desire to actually just randomly hurt people. I can't even watch violent videos. Like they just bother me. They trigger me. And, but it is a way for me to overcome my trauma that I experienced with pain and other things like that. But for me to take a power back in a way for me, I don't know why I like to do this, but I do, but can I do it with somebody consensually that enjoys receiving it? Yes. And then you start ending up in that area of sexual energy without sex. And that's one of the things I found that I loved about bondism so much is that it allowed me to explore things that I wouldn't have tried in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. And because it was mostly the most of the, the relationships that I had in terms of bondism were intellectually based online. 
there was a sapiosexuality to it that there was no risk of physically getting hurt. What do you say to people who want to try bondism in their real life, but are afraid that they can't get there with their partner in a safe way? Oh, easy questions only. Okay. There's a couple of different ways because it really depends on the circumstance. I I don't want to give a a deadpan answer that this is going to work for everybody because it's not one. How is the communication with your partner? Is your partner still just adamant that this is not something that they would do through your concerted efforts? Or did you just bring it up once or twice and sort of alluded to what you wanted and they said, no, then you need to rethink your communication skills at that point. One, if you're First, if you're afraid to talk to your partner, we need to dissect why you have a partner that you don't feel that you could trust being this open and vulnerable with. Get to the root of that first, maybe, and then find out, you know, what it is that you like to explore with them. But your head is an amazing place. And sometimes you can enjoy having your fantasies in your head of what might be going on with your partner without ever actually having to say anything. Sometimes it is nice and safe in our heads. I get that way sometimes where I love my fantasies, but they're for me. And I want to share that with somebody else, but also at the same time, I don't because that is for me. It's not for anybody else to get a kink out of anything else. It's for me to enjoy. So I will have those fantasies in my head while participating in other things, usually a storyline or something, but that's a way that you can do it if your partner doesn't want to, but communicate. What are you trying to feel? Say you like age play. And this has to do with my pose. Like you like age play because you just have this thing where you want to regress in, in an age and you want to experience this with somebody else, whether it be sexual or not, or, or whatever it is you're doing. But what is the root of that? Are you trying to seek comfort? Are you trying to seek gentleness? What is it in that scene that you're trying to experience? And then you can communicate with your partner that this is what I want to feel And how can you communicate that with each other to come up with a compromise? Like for me, I'm not comfortable with the whole taboo mommy thing. I've done it. I've created clips about it. I've tried it. I don't know if I don't like something if I don't try. So I've learned the psychology of it, why somebody would want this. And it's come down to I'm not comfortable in that position because of my own trauma. This is not going to be a way for me to heal from that trauma. So I don't like being put in that position of that mommy role. However, I can still get my partner to think that they're age regressing in their head. But why don't I play like the the professor and the college student, the older professor and the younger college student, obviously a young, formative adult that I feel comfortable playing with that. But I'm the dominant woman who is going to do this for them. So for me, it's I'm still doing that age difference play, but I'm not participating in age play. However, I welcome them in their mind. If they want to feel like they're regressing to that, then they're fine doing that in their head. We just don't talk about it during scene. I want to talk about stigma a little bit because when people hear the term submissive, they think doormat, they think abuse victim, they think trauma survivor. They don't necessarily think of somebody who's strong and independent and powerful. And when I was in in bondism, and it's not something that I can do now because of traumas that I've had since then, but I always felt as a submissive, I had the power because I was the one that could say, nope, don't want to do this. I can turn off my computer. I can get up and walk out of the bedroom. I can say no. Mm -hmm. 
What do you think about that, about the, the submissive and their role in the scenes? There is a big, huge also, I think even within the BDSM community, and I had to break the stigma too, that the submissives hold all the power. No, they do not hold all the power. Both parties hold power. A dom can call scene at the same time as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not only what the submissive wants. This is about communication and that power exchange. The best thing though, for those who find that they are trauma survivors or they have a lot of power in their life and the last thing they wanna do is their pleasure is that they wanna control. They literally just wanna give it over to somebody else. These are the things I like to do and I wanna explore it with you and I trust you to explore that with me. But I'm telling you right now, this is what I want and now I'm gonna trust you that I don't have to always communicate that during the scene. We talk about it before, this is what I want. But I also know if at any point it's uncomfortable as a submissive, I can say no and it ends, it stops there. I think in the world, there's still a debate going on. Can consent be revoked once you start the act of sexual intercourse? Can it be done? And there's a huge discussion about that. Once you say yes, then you say yes, you follow it through. But in BDSM is like, yes, I'm saying yes, but at this time now I'm saying no, because now I'm not in the right mindset for this. We can stop. And there's that respect level of yes, communication, we stop. I think that's so important to mention because I feel like as toxic as some of my relationships were in the past, they were toxic because we didn't have open communication and we didn't talk about the things that triggered each of us. And both of myself and my dom at the time had our own issues. And when we weren't talking about those issues, it became a big, huge thing between us. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Like you, you have to be able to, like I said before, you have to be comfortable with self and you don't have to be completely comfortable with self going into this, into BDSM, but you need to have a self-awareness that I am going to explore things that I may or may not want to explore. And that's traumas and triggers and things like that. So when you have that BDSM relationship, you go into exploring more of that and you encourage each other to communicate. The dominant needs to communicate with the submissive. The submissive needs to communicate with the the dominant. And it needs to be this flux of trust building to be able to go in and explore things. Now, I know we're talking very psychological and deep about some of these actions, but what we mean for those listeners who may not know, we're talking about if somebody wants to experience an overload of sensation, say it with impact play and they want to start feeling pain because they've had abuse and trauma or things like that or a violent thing. And here they're working in the dominant is working through. I'm not supposed to be hitting people, but yet here I am enjoying hitting somebody. Wait a second. Violence against somebody is wrong, but this person is saying they want me to do that to them and I want to do that to them. So we're going to consensually do this. And sometimes that can go into, since you're both playing and you're both experimenting with this, it can lead into a trigger. And at that point is when safer should be called, but sometimes it's really hard about what those triggers are because you're trying to take pleasure and trauma at the same time. So it's really hard to communicate that. And you're going to feel shame. This triggered me, but I was enjoying what was going on. What the hell is wrong with me? 
and you get those triggers and you start questioning and then you perpetuate the shame built around these fantasies and these desires. And then if the Dom is doing the same thing and not communicating that they felt the shame too and recognize that, then you're not going to be able to get any further. And it does become a toxic situation where it ends up becoming borderline abusive. That's where I think that BDSM is one of the most honest relationships that you can have because you have people who celebrate their kinks mm -hmm. and it could be anything from age play to daddy and little girl. It could be something as simple as just being tied up. It could be, it could even be something as simple as like just a DS relationship with no physical contact at all, which was my training experience for three years. He never touched me. But he taught me so much about power control, understanding myself, communication and things like that. BDSM is so wild and everybody thinks it's all about the chains, the whips and the pain. As a sadist, do I love the chains, the whips and the pain? Absolutely. Do I have to play with that? Absolutely not. There's so much more that, that can be experienced. And I think that's what people... Thing. Yeah, I think that's what people don't understand. They think it's just about the sexual gratification. And for me, it was such a healing experience. Like mm -hmm. I learned so much about myself and what I want and those things that I used to do, those fantasies that I used to have. I feel like I've, I've overdosed on them because I enjoyed them so much that I'm like, yeah, that just doesn't do it for me anymore. Do you yeah. have, and you don't have to go into detail if you're not comfortable with it. But do you, did you have any fantasies where you're like, yep, yeah, I'm done with that one now? I started off as a submissive. I healed my trauma through, through BDSM exploration as a submissive. I didn't really think I was switch when I was younger in exploring this. Like I had no desire to be the one with the power because I'm the one who's always trying to control the situations around me to try and control my trauma, to try and control my triggers. I, and, and I didn't realize that at the time, but this is where that led into that is I was sucked into this world, but I man, did I luck out? Like I, I had one of those unicorn experiences by finding somebody who saw what I was trying to do and understood that I had sexual trauma and that, that sex and exploration of BDSM were absolutely not going to be combined. Absolutely not. So I was blessed with that, but so I think a lot of the things like I used to be really into, I loved being a masochist. Oh my God, the more pain, the better. I loved the, the degradation. I loved CNC scenes and stuff like that. I really did hone in on my trauma. And now I'm just like, that doesn't interest me as much anymore because I processed through that. I came to understand what those feelings were that I was trying to do and have come to terms with my sexuality and stuff like that. <laughs> so I have switched that into, I want to give somebody else that control now. So a lot of, if I am in a submissive mindset, cause I'm very dumb now, like I don't really identify as a submissive much anymore, but now that, um, I am dumb and I sometimes feel submissive. It's more in my mindset. It's now adoration rather than being used. It's, it's being adored. And those are the things that I seek in that. And I'm not into what I'm into as a dom. I'm not into as a sub anymore. Yeah. I think there's definitely a progression. I knew a lot of women that started out as submissives like myself and then made the switch. And for me, 
I just was not interested in Dominic because I didn't want to have to take care of anybody. I take care of people all the time. And when you're a Dom, you have to, it is literally in the job description to take care of your submissive and to be there for them and to be their mm-hmm. emotional support. And I was just like, no. Facilitators. I'm good. I, I don't need that in my life. Well, but there's also <laughs> this thing that the sub doesn't need to give to the Dom too. The, the sub yeah. absolutely is required in the relationship too to give aftercare to give care and concern and compassion to the dom too it just may not be in scene like that it whereas in i didn't want any of that really was focused on my own trauma and what i wanted to process through like i needed to process this physically like just talking with somebody in therapy wasn't enough i needed to physically also experience things because I'm just, I'm a physical person. Like I have to feel things physically, music, video, whatever. I have to stimulate my mind. And so as a dominant now, it's more, it's not that I feel like, I feel more like a therapist than I do somebody sexually controlling somebody else. Again, because they're, me and sex and BDSM, we don't generally mix together. And the only time it does mix for me is when I'm submissive. And even then it's not always. But as a dom, like that's not on the table for me. So it's, I'm helping people realize their fantasies. I am their erotic escapism for them to explore in a safe capacity. I'm their kink sanctuary in a way. And I love having them experience. That's where my joy comes from. So can you explain, and I think this is one of the most important things that I learned as a submissive because it really is about, it's it's not just communication. It's about genuinely showing that you care. Can you explain aftercare? Yes. Aftercare is what is discussed between both parties or mutual parties about what you will do to feel comforted after the scene, whether it's physical or mental play or both. What is it that's going to make you feel comfortable, connected, and close? A lot of people seek reassurance during edge play. Like, you're okay. This was a fantasy. This is not reality. It's completely okay that it lives in your head. You know, a lot of reassurance or you did very good. You took a lot of pain for me. I'm very proud of you. Things like that. But it's also communicating about the scene. What did you like? What didn't you like? What would you like to explore more of? Did you feel something in particular? It could also just be moments of quiet self-reflection. It just really is whatever happens between both of those parties that they both agreed that they need after having a scene where unlike sex, you don't usually talk about that. Like you don't usually go, Hey, did did you you like that? It's not the same kind of conversation. Yeah. It's, it's not the same kind of conversation, but maybe there should be like, maybe there absolutely should be like, did you like what I did? How did you feel? Like, I, I know it's not something you normally like to do, but I really enjoyed it. And I greatly appreciate that you did that for me. Like a reciprocation of feelings and stuff like that. So it's generally thought that the Dom provides the aftercare for the sub, but really the sub provides it for the Dom as well at the same time. Again, being a sadist, like I need to know you're really like, you legit are okay because we did some serious things. There's some marks on your back. Like you're going to be feeling this. You're really sure you're okay. Do I need to get you some like pain pills or start massaging? Like, do you like, seriously, like I need to know that I'm okay too. And sometimes there are those trigger moments where we've gone deep into a scene and that mental play really gets to me. And I'm like, ah. I'm not sure I'm comfortable here. I need to process that. 
and then communicate that with the sub. Like, you know what? I know you really wanted to try that. And I did, but I'm not comfortable. So let's talk about that a little bit. How can we get what we both need and want in a compromising way? And again, that goes back to it being a very therapeutic thing for all parties Mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when I started, there were very defined roles in terms of who is the sub and who is the dom. And there was like a whole process in when it came to finding a dominant to teach you. Did you Mm -hmm. go through that? Like of trying to like interview and make sure they were the right person or did you just let (laughs) them do it? So this is where I say, I like that. I got a unicorn situation. So I was actually going to do on my blog, the, or podcast, the, the, how I got into this, because I'm very elusive of how I got into it because it's going to sound like a grooming situation, but it wasn't, this was all me and my choices. But when I first started getting into it, the, the dawn of the Yahoo chat room, (laughs) Enough said, interview over, I got it. Dating myself here. But it was the Yahoo chat rooms and of course the excitement on it, the anonymity. But again, it wasn't about the sex for me. So it was, this is sexual energy and I'm feeling things, but I'm not turned on. So I want to know more about this. What is this? And I got in the Yahoo chat rooms and there was a local one local-ish, I want to say, and the whole ASL thing. And I, I got into the community and I was talking and then I got into the Gorian stuff and the Gorian chat rooms. And cause I love the fantasy of it, which I'll talk later about breaking those down and how it all implements into now. But I met this guy and he, he was older, but he saw how much I wanted to learn. He saw how into this I was and and, and we would talk about trauma and things like that and how much I, we would all, we were pretty close and uh, yeah, he took me under his wing and trained me for three years. And then, and within that, I did meet other doms and went to dungeons and play parties. And I met those people, but the formal like training and stuff that I went through, it was a high protocol, non-sexual DS relationship. He never once touched me. Never once. He never flogged me. He never touched me, nothing like that. And then when I would see him in person at the play parties, which was really the only time we saw each other because everything was online. So there wasn't any capacity for that. It was, I would see him. He wouldn't touch me. I would kneel protocol, all that. But then I would go play with other people to learn what I needed to learn. What was impact play? How should I like it? How should I communicate what I need? And then I become a submissive mentor. And through that was my initial reaction. Now I know a lot of people are going to go on the fet life or on dating apps or other things like this and go into a world where it is open season to everybody. And that also means predators or people who are just not knowledgeable yet. I want to say that too. Not everybody who goes into this has bad intentions, but every single one of us has had and given a bad experience. Because we don't know. Yeah. So we have to be comfortable with that. So I I don't want to say that they're all predators, but there are definitely predators. And then there's people out there who are giving information that just don't know yet. They just don't have enough or just don't want to research. And they just keep it as a kinky thing rather than getting into an actual dynamic about it. So people are going to fall into things. There's definitely a rabbit hole. Isn't it? 
<laughs> yeah, there's definitely a rabbit hole when it comes to BDSM because there's just so much. There's so much information and there's no, there isn't like an official BDSM club that you can go to where nope. like all the rules and the laws are written out for you and this is how you have to follow it. It's so different right. for every and person. regions involved. are different too. Like, like regions are different. Like yeah. the Chicago latex scene, it was very different from the, the Colorado leather scene. And then the high protocol and old guard that I got introduced into. And then how, oh, we're all about bondage over here. It's you're going to find your sex of who does what and specializes what upon their interests. And then, oh, but if we're going to go based upon what porn looks like, and then the looks of what it should be, because it turns somebody on sexually to see those things. So they're going to equate that BDSM is only sex. So like you have so many different areas of where this could be. There's so much information. It is really hard to decipher it all. And even us educators and stuff like that, we're like, oh my God, I wish I had a good answer for that. But it's so individualistic and you're going to, you're going to have to trust your gut. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah, I know that's the best advice. I, I I can't think of anything better because it is it's a learning experience for everyone involved, and every partner you have right. is going to be different than the partner you had before. And I've had old guards super like pinpoint to the the finding details of how I'm supposed to behave to you mm -hmm. can do whatever the hell you want. I don't really care. And then there's that confusion. Of, what do you mean you don't care? Because I've all had people who don't care, care, and I'm like. <laughs> and for me, I was in such a place where I, I thought that was normal that it took me a really long time to be like, no, wait a minute. We're not doing the aftercare. We're not like actually communicating. Mm -hmm. We're not having those conversations. And I think that's probably the biggest thing you could look for is like, how is this person communicating with you? I think if, out of anything, like any kind of vetting system is how is this person communicating with you? Are they talking about just the things that they would do to you first without ever asking you if that's something you'd like? Red flag, don't go there. But if you're in a forum and you're all talking about what you like, then maybe that's a common interest and that sparks the conversation. But if somebody's just gonna come up to you and be like, oh, hey, pretty good girl, you want your spankings today over daddy's knee, don't you? Wait a second, how do you know I like to be called good girl? And second of all, how do you know I like spankings? And why would you assume I want to call you daddy? Like, there are just things like that. Like, I still get approached like doms coming up to me and, and assuming I'm submissive. And it's like, no, bro, I'm one of you. <laughs> New sign. Yeah. Uh -huh. New sign. I mean, but I mean, if the tattoos, the hair, and the lipstick, and the nails don't tell people. <laughs> or the title. Like, or the title. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's, I think, understand, is this person attempting communication with you before jumping in? That is the first thing you should be looking for. And the second thing is, do you match? Do your interests coincide? Somebody might want to be a rope bunny and they're really not into anything else. They, they want to have that cathartic experience of being tied up and, ha and having that pain of the rope and these torturous bending to be a meditative state for them to find great relaxation out of. Why would that person be with somebody who's just a sadist, who knows nothing about rope or knows the basics about it? Or maybe some, that, that doesn't make sense. You have to make sure that your interests coincide as well. There is something 
to be said, like Bonism, if not practiced properly, is dangerous. Very. It's dangerous physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm -hmm. It can cause a lot of harm. And that's why I wanted to talk to you today because my fear, and it's something that I've seen happen when you're new and you want to explore and you don't know where to go, not everybody, trust me, not everybody gets the unicorn experience. No, I, um, oh no, I know. I, I've definitely <laughs> had some that after I was out of that and I was like left on my own and I made some decisions. Oh, I put myself into positions where I'm honestly, thank God I'm alive. Yeah. I've had those traumatic experiences and it also led into because I combined the sex with the BDSM at the same time. And these were predators and, or people who weren't as knowledgeable as I thought they, or they claimed to be because I had all the experience. They were peacocking like, I'm the dumb. I got to be more experienced than you. And here, this is what I'm going to do. And then didn't understand things made a triggered a very traumatic response. And it solidified that of sex and BDSM for me. So, oh, and I've definitely had those. I had the, my unicorn experience at first. And then I've had the, what the fuck is this world? Yeah. <laughs> Who the hell is here? What? No. So no, I definitely get it. Not everybody has that experience. So what is the difference between what you do? And I like, I say this with all due respect because I don't want to offend you because I adore you. You're okay. But I say it because there are people out there that are like, ah, she's just a porn star. She's a slut. She's a whore. She's this, this, the other thing. What's the difference? Because there's a huge difference. Yes and no. I do create adult content too. I've been in that world. It just, it wasn't for me. I, I really found my, my passion in kink and BDSM and in providing those services. The erotic thing. I tried the adult thing, but I'm just too asexual for it. I'm like, I just, this is not my thing. I do want to say that, yes, we are erotic entertainers. We are erotic laborers, just like sex workers are erotic laborers as well. They provide it in a different capacity than what we do. I want to say that those of us who, who are on the pro side, what we're doing is we're taking sexual energy and sexual play without the sex. We're taking everything except for the act of it. Now there is porn and stuff like that, that will show BDSM sexual acts and between partners. Is that absolutely a thing? Yes. Do some pros offer some stuff? I'm sure there are. However, so this, it's not a blank statement saying dominatrixes do not have sex with their subs because some absolutely do. I'm a professional. I do not. That's the clarification for me, but we are all on the same spectrum. We are just part of this umbrella when it comes to erotic labors. And if somebody is going to call me that, I am most certainly not going to take offense because being a sex worker is hard damn work. It is laborious work physically. It is laborious work emotionally. There's a lot of stigma that comes with it. And leading that kind of life, being an out and proud sex worker, you lose family, friends, jobs, social status capabilities. There's a lot of risks that come with it. So if somebody's going to call me that or call me a whore or call me a slut or anything else that's meant to be derogatory, honestly, they're just projecting their own shame wrapped in fantasy projected onto me. And I really hope that they're able to experience something that allows them to feel sexually free from shame. 
I just wanted to let that sink in for a minute because it was such a good answer. And like yeah. that's like, I'm not going to be offended because I've been there. I know what it feels like to be like, well, I'm not going to do that because that's just gross or, oh, that just makes me feel weird. I'm like, yeah, but why does it make me feel weird? If it doesn't make them feel weird, then maybe try to understand why it doesn't make them feel weird. Do they know something I don't know? And that helps me open up. I can understand a kink, even if it's not mine. And yeah. there are some that I will play in the arena, even if it's not mine, because it, it is pleasing them and that's what they want to explore. And that's my job. But I'm going to find it in a way that I can relate, that I can enjoy it. And sometimes it's just, it's not going to happen and we're just not compatible. And anybody who wants to say that, I know it's their own stigmas with sex and shame. This country is so bad about it. Oh my gosh. Canada is not much better. (laughs) The whole West is just so bad when it comes to sex and shame. Where do you think that comes from? We can't talk about sex. We can't talk about BDSM. We can't talk about our periods. Like we can't talk about anything that Mm -hmm. is taboo or quiet. Why do you think that is? Because it's private. It's cultural, religious influences based upon millennia of control. You're trying to take a sexually social animal and control it. The only difference between us and the animal world is that we supposedly have cognitive awareness. We're just aware of what we like. And then we try to control it because, Ooh, you're not supposed, you're not supposed to like hitting people. Siren. You're not supposed to like making people cry, but I really want to make people cry when they want to make them cry. cry. It's fun. (laughs) But I want them to want that. I'm not going to just do it. There is it. It's, puritanical society and a lot of control it's cultural and religious influences and hopefully one day do you think that we'll ever get to a place where people will be more accepting like i've been watching this show a brave new world and Mm -hmm. i love it because everyone they just take their their little drug they have sex with each other they don't do monogamy they just are free and open with their sexuality and i'm like that's how we should be actually that's how we are Technically, no, I know. So there's even a book about it. A whole lot of scientific study called the sex at dawn. It's called sex at dawn. And this actually, it's how we mate, why we stray and what it means for modern relationships. And it's all about how we are sexually social creatures, even our closest relative, the bonobo and stuff like this. So if you love academia in an entertaining way to learn about the erotic mind and human sexuality, Sex at Dawn is the book. It is so good. Ah, yes. I do not believe we are monogamous creatures. I think we can choose to be monogamous because we can put trust in one person and I don't want to do that with anybody else or things like that. Absolutely. Can we choose to be? Yes. Are we biologically wired? No. (laughs) <laughs> no we are not I literally so, I just adore you I think you're amazing <laughs> but I'm uh, sorry biology has not caught up with society with scientific and, and cultural advances sorry we're still animals I I find it so strange that we are I guess pragmatic is a, not even pragmatic but we're just so stubborn about this idea that sex should be something that we're afraid of when a million years ago sex was women were walking around breast out and a hundred years ago women be going without now like it's I think it's just been such as control and I'm really hoping that 
as we learn more and as generations go, we're, we're going to be able to go back to being freer. Do I think it's going to completely go away? No, no, because generational influences and, and cultural stuff and religion is always going to be there. There's always going to be people seeking answers to the unknown. Some of us are scientific about that. Some of us are more faith-based about that. And either way is fine. I need this to make the world go round. How boring would it be if everybody was as open-minded and it was just a kinky free-for-all for everyone? Then it may not be as interesting. Sometimes there's the, the part of it is the mystery and keeping it behind closed doors. I don't discuss what I do in sessions, typically. Why? Because that's not for public consumption. That's between me and the person that I'm playing with at that time. It's taken me a long time to even be open about my own fantasies. Like some of them, I don't discuss with anybody again, cause they're mine. Like I want to keep them to myself. They are my little secrets that make me comfortable about myself. And if I share that with somebody else, then it loses that stigma. I'm like, oh, well, somebody else knows. I, yeah, I, I, I like that. this little mind game as the story in my head changes is what my partner is doing to me or what they might be saying, but I don't really want them to say it because in my head, they're saying it just right. <laughs> and I don't want to tell somebody, no, don't say it like that. Say it like this, like teaching somebody acting skills for a scene is just stupid. So I like to have that in my head. And I think everybody should, should embrace that first. Where do you get your confidence? Cause I look at you and you are a stunningly beautiful woman. Oh, you, you are unashamed of your sexuality. You are unashamed of your kinks. And even, I feel like not talking about them doesn't mean you're ashamed of them, but like you said, they're your private thing. Yeah. Where does all that confidence come from? For some reason, this has been a really big question lately. And even one of my friends goes, I don't look any different than I did because I was a burlesque dancer. I don't look any different than I did like three years ago when I was doing it. But he's like, you just look so different. What is it? And I was like, you know what? It's a confidence that came from somewhere. But honestly, it was curated. A curated confidence because I was tired of hating myself. I really just got tired of hating myself. Like, oh man, hating yourself is such a heavy armor. <laughs> so rather than focusing on the things I didn't like about me and I would want to change my appearance or me as myself, it was embracing the things that I was feeling bad about. I love to talk. I love to educate. It's just something about me. I don't know why it annoys a lot of people. I always felt like, shut up, Siren. Nobody cares. I that show everybody hates Adam. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm him. Cause I'm like, yeah, but did you know? <laughs> Cause I'm an insatiable love for learning and, and information that I just, you know what? Yeah. I'm that nerdy girl. I have a lot of information to share and maybe I can hone that in a way that's more positive, like podcasts and education and social media and just being out there. But physically it was taking a lot of pictures of myself to see what other people see like purposely, like thousands of photos, sexy photos, taking pictures of my genitals and putting it out there and being like, and even when I'm not confident, I don't like how I look. I'm naked and I don't know how, I don't like how I look, but you know, I'm going to do a sexy pose and I'm going to be like, oh, you know what? I like the way I look like there. I'm going to accept that moment and I'm going to post it online. Not because I'm looking for other people's validation, but because like it's out there. And maybe in my head, it's not what is real. 
sometimes your head is not what's real, right? Sometimes we want it as much as we can fantasize, fantasize about good, we can fantasize about bad. And sometimes we think that fantasy about bad is reality and it's not. So I try to take genuine compliments. If somebody's complimenting me, they mean it. They're not saying it just because what would they have to say that? So I, I take it seriously. And then I don't know, just accepting myself and okay, this is what I got. Might as well use it. I don't know. I think it was just a curation over many years of feeling confident about it. I'm confident in kink because if my friends and family are not going to talk to me simply because this is what I talk about and this is what I educate on, this is what I'm passionate about because it helped me overcome my trauma and I want that for other people. If this is what gets them to not be my family or my friends anymore, we were not meant to be family and friends in the first place. I was just writing because I'm working on a second book and I was just writing about that, that like the things that people judge you on that are willing, the, the reasons that they're willing to cut you out of their lives are often things that are none of their business. Even if it is their business, but why are you going to, I'm doing something positive for people and that's too much for you, but you might still be around if I was a murderer, a thief, a liar a user, a narcissist. There are so many other things I could see why you would not want to be a friend with me if you view me that way. But because I do this, I'm sorry, we're not compatible. And it's, I'm not going to be offended because that's how they are. Like I'm going to be hurt. But at the same time, I'm not living my life to somebody else's standards simply because they want it. They can live their life according to what they want. I will live my life according to mine. This is my life and I will do with it what I want. I will not have anybody else control what I do. Not at all. Oh, I see your little boy behind you. He's we'll so have cute. to cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go get lunch. Okay. Okay. Sorry. He's adorable. So who are some of the people that inspire you in your journey? And you don't have to name names, but just... In general, mm, every woman who has ever said, I'm going to do what I want. Those are the people who inspire me. Every person who has taken the steps to explore BDSM, even with shame. Those who have ever taken the steps to want to explore despite knowing themselves, coming into themselves and knowing that it will affect their personal lives because they've always catered to everybody else, but now they're standing up for themselves and exploring this for the first time. 75 years old, I had somebody do that. He was finally just the last few years of his life, he was going to explore something he's had hidden in him the whole, this whole time and was never able to express that or heal from his own traumas from it. Every person that has done that has been an inspiration to me. Every researcher on BDSM kink, every educator out there who's trying to make it open and aware, every dominatrix that has ever stood up to the patriarchy and said, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to take your shit anymore. What do you say to submissives who have been through some shit uh -huh. and who want to share their story 
and are genuinely afraid, and this is a thing, that people won't care about what they have to say. Find yourself a sex therapist. You have healing to do, and you owe it to yourself to heal. It's a gift you're going to give to yourself by getting your power back. If you feel like you've gotten over some therapy and stuff, maybe a sex coach is somebody that could assist you. Somebody who's going to help guide you on that journey to more empowerment. You've come to terms with your past, but now you're trying to see how you can grow from that. See a sex coach. They're the ones who are going to be, who are obviously kink and BDSM friendly. Hi, getting my certifications, by the way, is but I legit am, is helping guide you into that arena. If you want to experience this, but are not willing to emotionally attach to somebody for this, because that takes a while. If you're going to go lifestyle, it's going to take a while to find somebody who matches. Like you got to be patient, find a professional, express what it is that you need to do, find a professional that works with you and work with them. So you have three options. What if you've gotten to the point where you're like me? Can you- so I've gotten to the point where I no longer practice BDSM. And I don't know if it's because I'm triggered by the fact that I was gang raped a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Or if I just have gotten to this stage where I no longer need it. What do you say to people like myself who want to get back into it, but are a little bit gun shy? What would your advice be? First, we need to find out why you want to get back into it. We're not going into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but that would, yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not asking. Like, okay. That's, Suddenly that's like a you. wave of yeah, that's, came yeah, rushing into my head no, and I no. was like, no, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, to get there, but it, it's ask your, ask yourself the question, why are you trying to get back into it? If you're getting back into it because of nostalgia, I, I would process your trauma a little bit more. If you find that you, it really is a part of you and you miss it and those serotonin and all those great hormone things that come with it. And you did find true healing for it, but you're gun shy because you're afraid that there might be that trigger. I would find somebody that could help you process that, that has the capabilities to help you with the edge play that will take into the mental health aspect of it, much less the physical, but really understand what you are going through in this edge play to process that. I, I would not nice. play, like I would not play with somebody just because that could very well trigger you because they're not taking, if you're taking care of your mental needs at the same time, say, I'm not saying this is you, but say because of your traumatic experiences, somebody wants to explore a CNC scene or an interrogation scene or things like that. And they don't know, really know why, like they really want to do this. But if I know that somebody has trauma, I need to understand what it is that they're trying to heal out of this and understand that they're mentally capable of it. And that I have the skill sets to be able to process that because I won't do it unless I know all of these answers. And I'm confident that we can do this together. If that's not something you can do or find somebody, then maybe just hold off for a while, find the therapy that you would need or the coach, again, depending on where you're at in your processing of this. It took me a really long time to be able to 
find somebody that I felt comfortable enough to process trauma through BDSM with edge play to get me to be okay with that. Where can people find you on social media? Siren Saint Sin. Like literally everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I do have an Instagram though. Like I'm not as active on it as I probably should be. I'm on TikTok as like a little entertainer and educator as well. I have my website and then I'm- What's your website address for people? SirenSaintSin.com. Yeah. I thank you so much for being a part of this and having this conversation. It's not, it's really not an easy conversation to have because mm-hmm. the minute people see that you want to talk about bondism, suddenly everything in them shuts down. But I really appreciate that you've been so open about it today. You're welcome. And I wish you all the very best in your journey. And I hope you're able to get back there and find peace with it again. Thank you. All right. Then we'll talk with you later.